has given us the title for this evening and our reading from Genesis 21 with the phrase, it's a boy. Something they had to say twice with their family, with two boys. And the birth of a baby is usually, not though not ever, a real joy, a wonder and a delight. The months of waiting and preparing are over and the wonderful, the miracle has happened. The baby has been born. I've heard it said in a, a, a number of maternity wards that you don't meet many atheists in a, in a maternity ward because the wonder of birth is, is such a, an obvious miracle. Family and friends come to welcome the newborn, admiring him or her, however much, whichever one it is, and look to see how much they look like their parents though for me most babies look very much the same. But grandparents and even great-grandparents like ourselves are proud to show you and proud to rejoice with us in the birth of a great-grandchild. That happened to us just a few months ago and we were delighted to see our great-grandson, six months old, just a month or so ago when they came over from Australia. Many of you may know also people who have had a, a, a real struggle in, in coming to the point of having children. People have had IVF treatment and so on. And you know how for them, as it were, the, the whole thing is magnified and, and, and the wonder of it all is made even more wonderful after years of disappointments. But our reading this evening tells of the miracle of a birth that is even more wonderful because it tells of the birth of a, a, a child to elderly parents, and I mean elderly, and I say that as some that, someone that other people will think is elderly, but Abraham was a hundred, and uh, he and Sarah had been married for many years. But for them, the miracle and what is emphasised in the scripture reading is not the wonderful thing that they could have a child at that age. Wonderful though it was, it wasn't the miracle they boasted about. It was the joy of seeing the fact and celebrating the fact that God keeps his word, that God keeps his promises. You read very much in the, even in the first verse of our chapter, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. At the, very, the second verse, at the very time God had promised him, Sarah brought forth a son. He's the God who keeps his promises. You know that uh, we read in, back in Genesis chapter 12, how God had called Abraham to leave his home country and to set out on a journey of faith, a journey that would lead him to an unknown destination. But as he went out, God promised him that he would be the father of a nation. From him, there would be made a great nation. And through his descendants, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And already Abraham was 75 and his wife was getting on in years. 
We don't know exactly how. Sarah, like most ladies, conceals her her own age. But this was the promise. And that promise was reaffirmed as we read about it in Genesis 17. God made a promise. And this birth of Isaac celebrates the fact that God keeps his word. Abraham trusted God and his promise. And his promise was fulfilled through the birth of a human child. It's just worth pausing to remember that. God has an eternal purpose for the whole of creation. But that eternal purpose is not just fulfilled in what people might call spiritual ways. We're very good at spiritualizing things as Christians. But God fulfills his word in the birth of a very human baby who did all the things that undoubtedly all human babies do. God kept his promise. God said he would bring them a child, and he did. How Abraham and Isaac's faith must have been tested over the years. How they must have thought, is, really, is God really going to do this? Is it really possible? I mean, humanly speaking, it was ridiculous. But they held on in faith. I have no doubt that there were those moments when their faith wavered. There's nobody here tonight that can say that their faith has remained strong and constant all the years of their lives. The Old Testament goes on to tell us later on that God, through his promised, through his prophets rather, promised to his people that he would send to them a Messiah, someone who was anointed to be their king, one who was going to bring deliverance to them, a deliverance that was bigger than their deliverance from Egypt to slaves. We have those words that echo from Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God's eternal purposes fulfilled in a human child. So here in the very first book of the Bible, we see this wonderful fulfillment of God's eternal purpose through the promised gift of a son. And later on, that was to be paralleled and over and surpassed by the fact that God fulfilled his purpose in the birth of a baby son to Mary and Joseph in Galilee, who came from Galilee. But this chapter is a chapter with two halves. Many of you are familiar, even though you support Colchester, familiar with the idea of that commentators speak about a game being a game of two halves. And, and what they really mean is that they were pretty rotten at part of it and the second part they were better. Or if you are a supporter of Ipswich Town, as I have been for many years now, you would realise that it meant that Ipswich struggled in the first half and did reasonably well in the second half and conceded a goal in the 90th minute. That was their practice. But this is a story of two halves. This is a great contrast 
between the, the joy and the celebration of the wonder of the miracle of the birth of Isaac. And then the story goes on to speak of the way in which the whole situation became sour. Because as the baby grew, so the other son of Abraham and Sarah, they not her, her son. We get in verse verses eight, nine and ten, the story there. The trial child grew and was weaned, and on the day that Isaac was re weaned, Abraham held a great feast. He was celebrating this newborn, this one wonderful baby, Isaac. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. If you look at the, the scripture, it tells you, you can work out that at that stage, Ishmael was a teenager. And here was the tension, the celebration of the birth of Isaac and, and the jealousy, the anger, that so much fuss was being made of one when there was another son as well who was there. Abraham was caught in the middle. He was distressed, we read in verse 11. He was distressed as it concerned his sons. Ishmael is the firstborn, but God's purpose of bringing blessing to the world and blessing to all the families of the earth, that was to be fulfilled through Isaac, it was expected, of course, in, in society of the day that all the fulfilment and all the blessings would go to the, to the eldest one, the one who was first born. But don't let us think that God is bound to human traditions. The same is seen, of course, in the next generation as the same thing happened. We mustn't think that God is bound to any particular formula or the way of doing things that we've been accustomed to. There was one church I served as minister who in the early days had what I found to be a difficult habit who, when I suggested what we might do next, the answer was very often, we always do that. We always, and I, that, that phrase annoyed me, we always, but we're guilty of it, aren't we? We always want it done the way we did, the way we do it. I'm happy to say that, and I would want to put this on the record if it were, that that church became a church that was ready to do new things, different things. One church in my life where they were ready to do anything almost that I asked them to. But they began by saying, we always. We're all a bit guilty of that. We, have, we are people of habit. And life would be intolerable without habits. But we mustn't get to this point of saying, we also. The son learned, they soon learned rather, not the son that change was needed. God is not confined to our methods. 
And the lovely thing is, if you read on in this chapter as we did, you see that God has a purpose for Ishmael as well as a purpose for Isaac. Yes, Isaac was the one through whom God would bring the revelation of himself uh, through the Exodus and through all the, the work of the prophets and through the whole story of Israel leading to the coming of the Saviour Jesus. That was fulfilled in the line of Isaac. But God had a purpose for Ishmael as well. You read in uh, chapter 13, verse 1, which was the concerns Ishmael himself. I will make the son of your maidservant into a great nation. And we read in the last verse there, verse 20, God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. God was with Ishmael. Although in a different way, perhaps we might say. But God hadn't forgotten this other son. God has a purpose, not just for his chosen people, but he has a purpose and his blessing is with the whole of humanity. Let's never forget that. His, he has them in his care. It was saying to the people of Israel, of course, that the people they called the Gentiles, the Gentile world, still were in God's care. The Lord was with them. In a way it was different, but it was still real in uh, his care for them. Some of you may have met John Colwell, who used to teach at Spurgeon's College. And he told his students that at the end of a sermon they ought to be able to pose both of themselves when they're preparing it and each one of us as we hear it. We were to pose two questions. The first one was what sort of God is portrayed in that passage? What does this passage teach us about God? And the second one, the second question was, so what? What do you do next? And uh, in different ways, I've tried to persuade students that they ought to do that sort of thing, not necessarily use John Colwell's formula, but to try to see that whatever is the content of our ministry, it does tell us what God, what is said about God in the Bible. And it tells us what we might do about it as well. So let's ask the question what kind of a God do we meet in Genesis 21? Well we'd have to say first of all we meet a God who keeps his promises and that is the first thing we try to fix in our minds as a result of reading this. God fulfills his purposes, keeps his promises even though they seem at times preposterous, even though they seem to upset the way we've always thought of things, even though we have to wait a long time. Let's learn from him. In this passage, God is the God who keeps his promises.
It can be difficult to maintain our faith and our sense that God will fulfil his will. It's so easy to think, well, you know, God's missed out on that one. He's not going to fulfil that bit. Which leads on to the second thing. God is the God of surprises. The people that were around Abraham and Sarah at that time, they laughed about it. You having a baby at 90 or whatever age you were? Ridiculous. But God is the God of the impossible. And whilst, you know, I, I, I'm not inviting you to pray ridiculous prayers in one sense, I think we ought to be ready for the fact that God can do, as the Apostle Paul writes, exceeding abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine. Not just above all we ask, but what can we imagine God can do? Because whatever we can imagine, God can top it. And the third thing about that particular question is, God is the God who cares for all mankind. Yes, he has a special purpose. He had a special purpose through the people of Israel and still has. He has a special purpose for those of us who are, are, are the followers of Jesus Christ. But God cares for the whole of humanity. He cares for the rest of the world. So, ask John Colwell's second question. So what? Having looked at this, what does this teach us? In some ways, I think it's wrong to suggest to you what God may say to you in any particular sermon or encounter. Because it's been my experience over the years that at the end of service, someone will say to me, I'm glad you said this, that and the other. I thought to myself, I didn't say that. My point wasn't that really, but they grabbed something else. And that I, I, I simply trust to be the work of the Spirit. He takes the word of God and uses it in ways that we, that we, didn't, we didn't suggest. But I think there are things that are pointed up here that need to be things that we look at as a result of this sermon. What does it tell me really about life in Colchester these days? Is there something here from God that relates to me as an individual? Something from God that relates to the people of this community? Uh, does it say to us, first of all, something about the, our prayer life, really? Because Abraham and Sarah waited for years had their faith for years and I know and you know people who have prayed for certain people for year after year after year and sometimes they never in this life see the answer to prayer but remember that Jesus told the the parable of the what used to be called the importunate widow the nagging widow uh, he, he told them that parable not to say you've got to keep battering on God's doors and then he'll answer if you wear him out it's to say there is a place for persistent prayer persistent prayer 
I, I, I leave you really to see what God might say to you in these things. I ministered in Suffolk for a long time, as some of you know. And there was a wise old saying among some of the farmers who, if they heard you theorising about something, they would say, well, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Does it relate to the down-to-earth things of life? I have to say, does this word of God relate to us in that kind of way? Those of us who are preachers, there are some of them here tonight, I believe we always ought to be saying, not necessarily using John Colwell's questions, but having these things in mind, what, is it, what, is, what are we saying about God? What's God saying about himself in this scripture? And what does it mean in the practice of the daily living of the Christian life? And my prayer is that this passage of scripture, a well-known story, a story that some people just dismiss, a story that another of us will just accept. But what sort of a God is speaking to us in that? And what does it mean for us today? Let's pause for prayer before we sing our hymn.